Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Hey, everybody, wherever you're at with your device, we are so glad that you're joining us tonight. And uh, we're continuing a series of messages on there is a hereafter, that this life is not the end. In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews that we're supposed to consider ourselves as pilgrims. We're just passing through. And uh, there is a kingdom that is an eternal kingdom, the kingdom of God. And in fact, the Bible says of the increase of that kingdom, there will be no end. And we can look at the things that are going on in the world and things rise and things fall. But the things that rise and fall, those are not kingdom. Because of the increase of his kingdom, there is never an end. Well, I would like to begin again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 with verse 23. Because we're going to be talking about eternal things. We really need to have the eternal perspective the Bible gives us. And in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Now, the word completely there means that God's going to tell us everything about you. This is going to be your whole being. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you and I, we are a trichotomy. That means we're three parts, right? We are a spirit. In fact, the real you that lives inside your body is a spirit. You have a soul or a mind and you live inside of a body. Now, if Jesus tarries, someday the body will wear out. It'll die. But when the body dies, the real you that lives on the inside of that body will step out. Right? Now, in, back in Genesis, God creates man, breathes into him the spirit of life, and he becomes a living soul or an immortal soul. So what that means is that your soul and your spirit are connected. Right? They are connected for all of eternity. In fact, the only thing that can separate them, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, is the word of God. It says it discerns or divides even the soul and the spirit. And that's probably why in the world so often they don't even recognize that we have a spirit, that we are a spirit. They may talk about your soul or your mind and your body, but they completely miss the real person that you are, which is a spirit. So you are a spirit. Now, John chapter four, Jesus said, God's a spirit, right? Now you're not God, but you're the same class of a being as God, right? And because you're that class of being, this is very important. You will never die. Your physical body will die and wear out. But the real you that lives on the inside will simply step out of that body. You, and with your spirit, you contact the spiritual realm. So the Bible says in Proverbs 20 and verse 27, it says the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord or the place that God enlightens you, the place God speaks to you, the place revelation comes to you is your spirit. It doesn't come to your physical body and it doesn't even come to your mind. God speaks to your spirit. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. That's where God will illuminate you and speak to you. You, so you contact the entire spiritual realm with your spirit. But because you have a soul, you can contact the intellectual realm. And because you're living inside a body, you can contact the physical realm. 
Now, Hebrews 9, verse 27 says that it's appointed for a man to die once, and after that, the judgment. Now, I think this verse is very important because of the world that we live in today, right? Um, many people believe in haunted houses. Somebody died in that house. Something happened to them, and their spirit stays and haunts the house. It doesn't happen, right? It's appointed to die once, and after that, there's judgment. And we're going to be looking in just a moment in Luke chapter 16, where it tells us that when a person dies, angels carry them. The real person is, leaves this earth. No one stays around and haunts a house. Nobody comes back as a cat or a cow, right? You die how often? Once. You know, someone years ago, in their, their, their mind, they thought, you know, the wrong things I've done, I've got to pay for. So I'll come back again in another life and another life and another life and another life until I get it right and I pay for all my previous sins. They call that karma. But the truth is, if you could pay for your sins, Jesus would have never come. He would not have had to have died for your sins. In fact, he prayed and said, if there is another way, God, do it that way. But the only way to redeem you was not to have you pay for your sins, but somebody else, someone who was perfect and sinless, had to pay for your sins. Right. And then lastly, uh, there's not ascended masters. I remember reading a book on gardening that Jeannie had several years ago, and there was actually an um, article in there and on channeling. And they said, there are people that lived thousands of years ago and they died, but their spirits are here and they can guide you. And they called them spirit guides and they're deceased people. And they're going to help you. No, when somebody dies, it's appointed, they die once. And after that, there's judgment. They're carried to one of two places. And we'll see that again in just a moment. Philippians 1 verse 23, for I'm hard pressed between two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. So Paul is saying, I really just want to die. I want my body to die and I want to go and be with Christ because it's far better. Right now, this is not somebody's speculation. Right in uh, second Corinthians, second uh, Corinthians chapter 12 tells the story of Paul dying and going to heaven. He said, I saw things and I heard things I can't even talk about. He's not somebody who was talking about something he didn't know about. He said, it is far better. Right? Now, that is the perspective that we in the kingdom of God and as born-again Christians should have. Right? That, that to be with the Lord is far better. It's amazing to me how we sing about, you know, one glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. Oh, glory. You know, we're, we're singing and we're happy. But somebody says, oh, you're going, you're, you're, you're going to die soon. And we're like, no, no. You know, the truth is that as a believer, we need to understand that when we depart and we're with the Lord, it is far better. And you say, yeah, but we're going to grieve. But when, when we grieve that somebody has passed that they have left this life and gone to the next. We're grieving for us and not them. Because for them, it is far better. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8. And we are confident, yet well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. He said, it's better. He said, we would rather be absent from the body and be with the Lord. 
Now, James chapter two in the last verse says, as the body without the spirit is dead. Now, what death is, is when your spirit leaves your body, your body will be dead. What gives life is the fact that the spirit is inside of you, right? It's inside that physical body. And once the spirit leaves, the body is dead. Uh, so let's go over to Jesus talking about what happens when someone dies. And I want to read a little bit of the account that Jesus gives in uh, Luke 16, verse 19. Now, there's a certain rich man who is clothed in purples and fine linen fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate. Desiring to be fed from the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was the beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side. This is saying that that beggar died and angels carried him. Someday when my body or your body wears out and the real spirit, the real you steps out, angels will carry you, right? They will carry you faster than the speed of light to one of two locations, right? He died, but the angels carried him and he's got a place next to Abraham. The rich man, he also died and was buried. But being in torment in Hades, he, the rich man, lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. I want to, to, to point some couple of things out here. This rich man never in his wildest dreams expected to end up in hell. But when his physical body died instantly, so much became clear. He had been spending his life in a certain way. He had been selfish. He had been simply thinking about himself, really leaving God out of his life. Not that he didn't believe there was a God, but he just lived as if there was not a God, right? We need to understand that the focus of our life, the Bible says, when Christ, who is your life, when Christ, who is your life, shall appear. You see, our life needs to be built around Christ, around the kingdom of God, not around our job or our hobbies or our money or our car or whatever it is, right? It needs to be built around God. So, so instantly when that man died, his priorities came straight. He understood, look, I have really messed up, right? I believe they probably hardly pulled the, the sheet over his eyes. And what had eluded him all of his life was very, very clear. That he had been a fool. That he had not focused on the important things. And in his life, he may have been prepared for many things. But the most important thing he did not prepare for, eternity. He wasn't right with God. And the Bible says that he cried out. And he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in torment in this flame. Notice he cried out and he said, have mercy on me. Now, I want to say something here. I want you to listen carefully. As long as you and I are alive, mercy is available. But once we die and we step into the eternal realm, uh, there is one place there is no mercy and there is no mercy in hell. Then suddenly it's too late. And Ecclesiastes 7.2 says that death is the destiny of every man. 
The mortality rate with humanity is 100%. It is the destiny of every man. And listen, the living need to take it to heart. The living. It's amazing to me how often when someone dies, even a senior, they don't have a will. They haven't prepared. They do not want to face the fact that I am mortal, that my body is going to die. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to face that fact. But it is a reality that death is the destiny of every single one of us. Our body eventually will wear out if Jesus does not come back first. And notice this is the living should take it to heart. You see, because it's while we're alive that we can do something. Right? He's crying out. He's crying tears. If he had just cried out earlier, there was mercy that was available if he would repent. Right? In fact, the Bible tells us for those that do repent, God will wipe away every tear from their eye. But for those that do not, they may, they may cry an ocean of tears, but it will not change anything. There is no way out. In fact, I, I want to just read from Hebrews chapter two a moment, and I want to explain something. Unpack this. Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, you and I live in a flesh and blood body, a body that can die. He himself, Jesus, likewise shared in the same. Literally, Jesus came from heaven and came and put on a suit of humanity. He partook of the same that through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. And release those who through fear of death were all their, their lifetime subject to bondage. For he does not give aid or salvation to angels. But he does give aid or salvation to the seed of Abraham. Now, this may sound strange, but death is a blessing. First of all, just think about if, if all of the, the, the despots of the world were still alive. A Hitler, a Stalin, a Pol Pot, uh, the, the most wicked, vile people, the Jack the Rippers, if they were still alive. Uh, it's kind of like death kind of cleanses us of, of some of the evil. But if there was no death, we would be stuck in our fallen condition. But what happens because of death, Jesus was able to save us. He came in a body just like yours and mine. And it says that through death, he was, he was able to destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. So here's what this means. Jesus came and redeemed you in a physical body, just like you have. You can only receive the redemption he purchased for you as long as you live in that physical body. The moment your body dies, you are sealed for all of eternity. You're either right with God or you're not right with God. Notice it says there's no aid. There's no salvation for angels. And a fallen angel cannot be saved. That's why the devil cannot be saved, because he doesn't live in a physical body. And you can only receive what Jesus purchased for you in a physical body while you live in a physical body. The Old Testament has a scripture that, that brings the point out when you think about it. This is what it says, Ecclesiastes 11. If a tree falls to the south or the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. Now, here's what, it's, what this Bible is saying here. It's not talking about trees. It's talking about you. 
is talking about me. It says, when you fall, when you die, you're either right with God or you're not right with God. And in the condition that you die, you will stay for all of eternity. That's where you're going to lie. You're either going to lie right with God or not right with God. So he's crying out. He says, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in this plane. But he's in the one place where there is no mercy. Now, five minutes earlier, he could have cried out for mercy before he died. And there was mercy that was available to him. The Bible says in Psalms 85 that mercy and truth have met together. And righteousness and peace, they've kissed each other. It is available for every person that is alive. There is mercy, but it's only while we're alive. Jesus tells the story in Luke 18 about two people that go to pray. One is a Pharisee and he prays and, and he says this, God, I thank you. I'm not like other people. I'm not an extortioner, unjust, an adulterer. I, 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 I'm not like this tax collector. He says, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of everything I possess. So he says, look, I, I don't do all these bad things. And then I'm a tither and I'm, I fast and I'm very religious. But Jesus said that man did not go down to his own house justified because all of your good works, all the things that you do and all the things that you don't do cannot make you right with God. But Jesus said there's a tax collector. Now, a tax collector had two things going against them. First, they were collaborating with the Romans, the oppressors. Right? And then secondly, their wages were what they overcharged people. And they would really gouge people when it came to taxes. So they were considered treasonous. And then they were gouging people and taking their money. So there's this tax collector standing afar off. He wouldn't so much as lift up his eyes towards heaven and he beats his breast again, not some sort of penance, but he's just saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that person, Jesus said, not the other, went to his house justified. The one who tried to earn salvation could not earn it. That's why Jesus said he's the way, the truth and the life. You see, you cannot earn your salvation. I cannot earn mine. In fact, it says this in Psalms 49, but no one can ever redeem himself or pay his own ransom to God for the price for himself is too high. It will never be that he will go on forever and avoid the sight of the abbess. It's saying nobody can redeem themselves. Nobody can do enough good. Nobody can pay enough. That's why the Bible says in first Peter, you weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Jesus had to come and pay for your sin. The innocent had to die for the guilty. Right? So he's crying out and he's saying, I'm in torment. I'm in torment in these flames. Now he's there because of the way that he lived and the things that he did not do. And we're gonna to get to that in just a moment. What he didn't do was extremely important. He did not put his trust in God's redemption, in the redemption that God offered him to have. He trusted only in himself. And, and he says, you know, send Lazarus. But he says, no, you can't. I can't because there's a great gulf fixed in between us, the Bible says. 
And those who want to pass from us to you cannot, nor can those from there pass over here. You see, the, the gulf that would get a lost person right with God, Jesus is the only one who can cross that gulf and bring us to the place where we're right with God. And another thing he's saying, he's saying, look, the condition of the fallen person, the one that has died, it is permanent. The Bible says there'll be Revelation 20:10, tormented day and night forever and ever. Hebrews 6 says it's eternal judgment. And I know that there are many people that it bothers when we talk about, about hell, when we talk about eternal judgment. But realize this, 90% of everything we know about hell, we know from Jesus. He talked about it more than anyone else. And somebody said, well, the, the, the eternal part, I, why, why eternal? Well, first of all, I don't think any of us understand how much we underestimate God's holiness. Nor do we understand the sinfulness of man. Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever been around a person who hadn't had a bath in a month, but I have. And I'm telling you, they stink. But they don't know they stink. They don't, they don't know their own condition. And we not only underestimate God's holiness, we underestimate the sinfulness of, human, of humanity. The Bible says that the heart of man, it is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then we do not understand the awesomeness of eternity. The Bible says that judgment is eternal judgment in Hebrews chapter 6. It's not a temporary thing where a person is able to pay for their own sin. If they, that was the case, Jesus would have never had to have come. He said, I beg you, therefore, because he said, there's, there's no way for me to get help or for me to get to you or you to get to me. He says, I beg you that you'd send to my father's house. I have five brothers that they may not testify. At least they also come to this place of torment. Now, I want you to realize this. These are actual words spoken by a person in hell. And he's saying, help me. There's no help. Then he says, look, send someone to my brother's. I've heard people say this. They've said it to me. They said, I want to go to hell because all my friends are going to be there. Here's someone from hell and they want no one else to be there. They're concerned that their family might end up there. He says, I have five brothers and I don't want them to come to this place. You see, the person who says, well, my friends are all going to be there. They have this idea that hell is going to be a big party, but it's not. It's the loneliest place on planet Earth. I, I listened this weekend to someone who had just gotten out uh, that they had been exposed to the coronavirus and they had been put in uh, what we would almost say in a solitary place. They did not have any contact with anybody for 14 days. He said it was the hardest thing they'd ever done. You know, that's why solitary confinement in prison is the worst possible punishment. But in hell, you're not going to be hanging around. It's going to be like solitary confinement. In fact, the Bible talks about it being a bottomless pit, that there's this continuous sense of falling and you're alone. And it's a place of regret. He said, well, have them have send somebody, send someone to my friends, to my family. And he said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. 
But Moses and the prophets were the word of God that they had at that time. He's saying, listen to the Bible. The Bible says this, and to him, to Jesus, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Listen, every true prophet testifies that through Jesus, you can be right with God. And anybody who says, oh, there's just a lot of ways to get to God, or there's just a lot of different names for God, and all people are serving and seeking after the same God. It's not true. It is not true. There is just one way. And But Abraham said to him, now, they wouldn't repent even if someone rose from the dead. And this was his answer. No. No. Now, listen, that is why he's in hell. He's been there for 2,000 years. But he said, no, the Bible is not enough. He said no to the Bible. He said no to repentance. He said no to Jesus. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. That man, that rich man is still in hell today. And he will be there forever. And every person who says no to God, who says no to the word of God, who says no to Jesus, is going to end up in that place. And according to Jesus, the only sound in hell is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is an abiding place, but it is not a resting place. And I want to encourage everybody, say yes. Say yes to Jesus. Now, in Genesis chapter 49, here we see Jacob. He's old. I believe he's 147 years old at this point. And he knows he's about to die. And he gathers his sons to him. He gets his children all together. And it says then he blessed them. Right? He spoke words of encouragement and blessing over every one of them. Right? Now, this is really important. Because when, when it comes to the end of your life, you're not going to go, boy, I sure wish I could work more. I sure wish I'd spent more time in my hobbies. I sure wish I had accumulated more. We've all seen the bumper sticker, he who wins with the most toys wins. But that is a lie. He who has the most toys without God is the biggest loser of them all. They're a loser. So he realizes he's about to die and he wants his family around him. And that should tell us right now, where should our priority be? Our number one priority is God, but our next priority is our family, right? And he charged them and he said to them, he said, I'm to be gathered to my people. He says, I'm about to die. Now notice his phrase, I'm going to be gathered to my people. You see, when, when someone dies, down here we grieve because we're not going to see them again for a while, right? But they're about to be received into heaven, right? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And notice what he says. I'm going to be gathered to my people. Just like your people, when, when someone dies, gather around and mourn because they're not going to see you for a while. In heaven, they do the exact opposite. They party. You get there and they're going, whoo, you made it. We weren't sure you're going to make it, but you made it. And boy, we got some stuff to show you. I mean, when you get to heaven, 
It is a place of reunion, right? The Bible says your people, you're going to be gathered to your people, to your family, to your people. He says, so bury me with my father in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, which is before Madre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. Now, notice what he's going to, what he's going to say. He says, there they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. He's talking about his grandparents. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. Right? Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about his parents. He said, and there I buried Leah. He said, there's my wife. So he's saying, look, my grandparents are there. My parents are there. My wife's there. He said, I'm about to be gathered to my people. He said, he's talking about the people that he's going to be seeing. All right. Now he's just talked about to those who he's going to be leaving. He said, and when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Gathered to his people. Listen, death is not the end. The number one way that you and I get ready to die is to be right with God. Be right with God. And then if we want to have our priorities right on earth, that first priority is God. And that second priority is going to be your family. It's going to be your people. Right? And uh, don't wait until the end to make the right judgment. Uh, I'm thinking about the coronavirus and how there, there's less contact, social contact. What a great time to focus on your relationship with God and your relationship with your family. He talks about to those he's about to leave. He talks about those he's about to see. And he just takes his feet up into his bed. And the Bible says he is gathered to his people. No doubt they mourned and they cried because death's an enemy. We're not going to see that person for a while, but in heaven, they were rejoicing. And for you and for me, we need to know that we're right with God. In fact, the Bible says this in first John, it says, we've written these things to you that you may know that you have everlasting life. Nobody is supposed to find out when they die, if they made it to heaven, you're supposed to know right now that you're forgiven and you're right with God. So as you're watching today, wherever you're at on your device, I want to ask you a couple of things. I want you to listen carefully to this. For some of you, this is the most important thing you'll ever hear in your life. Right? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. That means that all the good things that I do and all the bad things I don't do will never make me right with God. There's just one way to be right with God, and that's through Jesus. All of your good works won't make you right with God. You need a Savior, and that's why Jesus came. He came to pay the debt for sin that you cannot pay. So he said, you must be born again. And what does that mean? That means that you and I need to give all of our heart and all of our life to Jesus. And when we give him all of our heart and all of our life, and we turn away from our old life, instantly, we're right with God. Instantly, you're forgiven. Instantly, you're a part of this family. Instantly, you're on your way to heaven. So I'm going to ask everybody, if you would, to pray this prayer out loud, right? I want you to make these words your own. 
And this is for you especially. You're away from God. At one point you live for God, but you're not living for God. You don't know where you stand with God. You say, I want to be right. I want to be forgiven. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want him to be my savior. Pray these words out loud. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. And as you help me, I will live for Jesus every day. I receive the forgiveness Jesus purchased for me. I thank you my past is gone. That I am your child, a part of your family, today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.